Hello there, Nick Sanford here, uh, going solo to yell at you about why you need to see a new film called Sometimes I Think About Dying, directed by Rachel Lambert and starring Daisy Ridley from Star Trek Next Generations. It's, this film is kind of being buried uh, right now because there's a lot of movies and it's a smaller film. Um, being distributed by, I believe, Oscilloscope Laboratories? I don't know. Oscilloscope. Oscillating Fan Laboratories movies releases is what it's called. Um, You can catch it as of today, February 19th, 2024. It's still playing in... Uh, art house theaters around America that I know of. Um, I believe it's going to uh, be available for video on demand, I think March 24th, if uh, my memory is correct. Um, But I would really suggest seeing it in a theater, if at all possible. Now, sometimes I think about dying is about... A young woman named Fran, played by Daisy Ridley, who has a very boring office job, office drone, uh, you could call her, um, and just not a particularly exciting life, who my interpretation of the film thinks about dying as, I mean, it's death ideation. I didn't quite get suicide ideation from it uh strictly speaking but it's just you know she's in a very she's in a very um typically you know quote-unquote boring life that she doesn't seem to hate but she doesn't enjoy much um and it's a really relatable film in a lot of ways i think It's had some, I don't want to say backlash, but, you know, there are some people who aren't quite on its wavelength, I don't think. It is a very slow film. It's very deliberate. It's shot in an academy aspect ratio, which, in my opinion, it kind of earns. I've been sort of kind of resistant uh, kind of the last couple years to weird aspect ratios, that, you know, aren't anamorphic or aren't 185, you know, flat. It just, it, it kind of seems like the, the, the doors kind of came off the hinges the last few years when it's like, Oh, all these a 24 movies are doing really, really well. And not, you know, let's, let's shoot it in a weird aspect, right? You know, it's, it's gotten a little, old hat to me sometimes sometimes it, it it really works uh and in this case i think it really works this um i believe it was shot in portland a real small town um in oregon it might be washington it's you know northwest northwest coast uh and i describe the film as art house office drone taxi driver where you've got it is a it is a genuinely funny movie and it makes sense 
sort of that it's about this very isolated person and here I am talking about it in isolation with no one to bounce these ideas off of except for whoever might be listening a uh, pretty one-way conversation and I saw it by myself in an art house theater um, rodeo cinema for those familiar with the Oklahoma City area uh, it's a great little art house theater support your local art house wherever you are which I think this film is still playing in some of them, and it is worth seeking out in that way. I, I think the ideal situation for seeing this would be in, you know, like an art house theater that is that has a packed crowd full of people that are on its wavelength because it is a very funny movie. The first 10 minutes or so, I was a little like, okay, is this really going to sustain for 90 minutes? And from a lot of what I've seen online, it seems like a lot of people do not think that it really sustains its 90 minute, you know, running time. Uh, but a lot of people do. And I'm one of those people. And there's just all these really awkward human interactions and it uses cinema, you know, because we will be on a close up of Daisy Ridley as she is listening to, you know, a conversation that's happening in another part of her, you know, sort of cubicle area. And then we cut to something and cut back to her and her reaction is slightly different. And it's just all these little idio, I guess you could call it idiosyncrasies, but just, you know, these small moments that most of us probably know well. Um, and I think she gives a really interesting, powerful performance. And it kind of made me realize I hadn't actually seen her in anything outside of the Star Wars movies, which I enjoyed. I think she's, you know, really good in them. She's got the movie star thing. She's got charisma. She she looks good on screen. She knows how to use her body language and her face and all that. But I haven't really seen her do something like this. And this is the kind of stuff I personally love seeing you know bigger actors do um you know like Kristen Stewart is another one who or Robert Pattinson I mean all these guys that you know kind of started off in these you know kind of made their names in these big franchises uh trying to keep like indie cinema alive by doing these kind of small weird projects that wouldn't otherwise get made and in this particular case I think Ridley is really well suited to being a wallflower whose perspective we are kind of stuck in, you know, because most of the office around her are filled with people that are not caricatures, but they, you know, they can be, it's, it's interesting. They're broad, but they're still human. Um, you know, people that have these kind of, inane conversations about you know just droning on about well you're a fisherman you like fish i don't fish i've never fished in my life you don't fish no who told you that i fish i don't know anyway i wish this i wish this cruise ship would move out of the dock so we can see the mountains outside the window you know it's just shit like that that's really funny and to see her kind of interpret and internalize all of this stuff um and something that i heard in an interview with her i believe it was on happy sad confused uh fairly recently apparently the script that she was handed had a lot of voiceover narration from the character of fran kind of delineating in sort of a funny way all of this stuff that is kind of happening around her um uh, you know just kind of internal monologue which really would have 
given it, you know, kind of a taxi driver flair. And when I say taxi driver, I don't mean, you know, this movie ends with Daisy Ridley going to, you know, shoot up a bunch of pimps or whatever, like in a brothel or, you know, however taxi driver ends, which would be insane. But, uh, but no, this it's, it's taxi driver in the sense that, you know, it's this very isolated, awkward person who doesn't really know how to interact with, people around her the world around her um and kind of season in there is sort of this romantic interest that you know kind of happens as the as the movie goes along you know that she kind of is become sort of gets in the orbit of and you know you can probably imagine it doesn't always go great uh and that's what i mean by by taxi driver but Apparently, there was this, you know, there was a lot of voiceover narration in the script, which I believe was adapted from a play. I do not have the original author of the original play in front of me, but apparently Daisy Ridley thought, what if we strip all of this voiceover narration out of the film and I just play it on my face and with my body language? And so Daisy Ridley probably has like, the least amount of lines of all of the speaking parts in this movie, but she's doing a lot with her face. There are these times where she'll kind of, it almost seems like she'll involuntarily just very gently shake her head as if, you know, the, just the monotonous conversations around her are just becoming too much to bear. You know, there's a lot you can interpret with what she's doing with her face. And, what a movie star, in my opinion, she is in this film because she sustain she shoulders this entire movie. And there are these kind of surreal sequences where you are getting inside her head and you do, you know, it'll just be, I, I think the poster is like her dead out in a forest, you know, covered with bugs or whatever. And that's what I mean by like the death ideation. Um, but, you know, a lot of her human interactions are, you know, people, again, who aren't character, caricatures, caricatures, who aren't carrot eaters, um, you know, talking about, I love margaritas and, you know, what the, the stuff that just kind of normal office people who have a life outside of the office, you know, kind of, you know, we'll often talk about, um, I've worked in an office, some, uh, you know, full of varied groups of people who will often carry on, you know, kind of these conversations. Uh, I don't, I didn't feel quite as displaced as, uh, Fran seems to in this case, but you know, I think it's something that a lot of people can really relate to in the melancholia. And it's, I almost don't even want to call it depressing. Depression. It's like a depression she doesn't seem to know that she's in. Like in one case, or in one like one side of it, she seems perfectly content with this life where she goes home and heats a bagel up in her microwave and then puts cottage cheese on it or whatever and then goes to bed and then wakes up without having to even set an alarm and she just goes back to her office where she files her stuff and then she goes and there's a really quick scene that's never really mentioned again where you see her phone ringing and it says mom 
and we just never see anything outside of that. She does not answer the phone. It just says mom and she kind of glances at it and that's that's like it. You know, there's just lots of little things like that. And then as this love interest comes into it, she, uh, you know, starts to explore it, seems to enjoy being around him, but he can't quite figure her out because she herself doesn't really find herself that interesting. I'm trying not to go into spoilers. Um because there's, you know, I mean, it really is the experience of watching the thing. But also, I had no idea sitting alone, you know, uh, in this little art house theater. I kept getting nervous, you know, whenever these big social, you know, situations would start coming up or whatever. Thinking, oh, shit, what's about to happen? You know, I mean, I mean the more it got to the end, the more I was like, is, is she going to snap? Is she, is there going to be this, you know, thing where she really embarrasses herself like at this party or you know whatever it is and and it's really interesting to see you know someone who is largely at up until recently done star wars movies and the you know kenneth Branagh funny mustache detective movie and you know whatever um but this is this is stuff that you know I personally love to see our modern movie stars do, which is just be quiet and just be in the space without, in my opinion, and again, this does not work for everyone, which I understand, but it is quiet enough. I mean, it, it is quiet and it is deliberate and it's not, you know, very quickly paced. It's not, you know, fast and furious or whatever. But it does seem purposeful, and it does seem singular, and the movie is good at being itself, if that makes sense. Um, it's not it's not weird for the sake of being weird, in my opinion. Everything I was seeing felt like it was kind of getting at this broader idea about... You know, I don't want to say what it what it means to live now in the state of the world or whatever, you know, because, I mean, it is a very small, self-contained story. It takes place in this unnamed, I think, small town, or maybe the town is named, I don't know. But, you know, on this very particular point in time, but it's still universal enough. Um, And, yeah, it, it just, it really rules. It's really funny. And I, it, it makes me sad that... You know, it just doesn't like I'm glad this this, you know, fairly new movie studio or distribution company, uh, a skilloscope, a, a, a oscillating fan. You can look them up. They're the working man's neon, which is already the working man's like a 24, you know, but I but I I, I do hope that, uh, you know, we get more of these smaller distribution companies really start to you know, carve a place for themselves in movie culture and in movie, just the movie space. Um, you know, cause I, I like a 24 obviously has really become a true brand name. I think neon is getting there. They're not kind of going for quite the same thing that a 24 is, I don't think, but they're still, you know, you know, they're, they're neon is starting to, get in the same ballpark as a 24 and then uh, oscillating fan records um, are kind of starting to carve out, you know, they're, I I think they're, they're kind of in the early stages. They're trying to figure out, 
you know, what their place is going to be. And I think this was, this is, I believe the first film I've seen that had that logo in front of it. And I love, I love logos in front of movies. And this is a really cool one. Uh, you know, just aesthetically, it kind of has this, um, almost RKO, you know, like tower on the earth sort of vibe, but really kind of more like, like a fifties or sixties sci-fi thing. I don't know. You know, it's, it's just this cool thing. And, and here it is this quiet movie starring, you know, the lady from the last three star, star Wars movies. God, I keep doing the star Trek bit. I've got to stop. Please. Someone stop me. Send help. Um, and yeah. And, and, and I think this stuff really needs to, if you can, see it in a theater. I know Argyle and Madame Webb right now are sucking up all the, you know, movie oxygen in the room just because we're all talking about, you know, how bad they are and how expensive, you know, or whatever. But, um, but yeah, if you can get out to a local, you know, your, your local art house theater and see something like, uh, sometimes I think about dying starring Daisy Ridley, it will enrich your life. It's it's not a it's not a cinematic game changer by any stretch, but it is I think solid. It knows what it's doing. Very singular. You know, doesn't overstay its welcome. Goes in surprising places sometimes, especially with oh god, what's her name? I think Marsha Dubois or Dubois? Hold on. Oh God, I'm looking at it. I've got the IMDb. My app's not loading. Jesus Christ. Marcia Debonis. That's her name. Plays a character named Carol. Not in the movie for very long, but she makes a real impact and offers an interesting mirror for the Fran character, you know, Daisy Ridley's character to kind of look into. Kind of bookends the movie in an interesting way without getting into spoilers. But yeah, I don't know. You know, we need movies like this to balance out and don't get me wrong. I love big movies. Dune part two is just around the corner and buddy, I'm excited. I want to see my big Hollywood, you know, sci-fi epic out in the desert and all the crate, you know, I, I, we need that. Uh, but we also need smaller movies like this and we need actors like Daisy Ridley who can get them made and who can stretch themselves and do interesting things. You know, I mean, this is a, you know, she is a movie star, but she's starting to kind of find, uh, what, you know, she's starting to stretch herself a little bit and see what she can do as an actor and, uh, and I think this is a really interesting performance in service of a really interesting story and a very interesting kind of place and mental, a mental place that we, you know, many of us can, can relate to. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, go, go see it in a theater, give, give them your $10 or whatever and keep these things alive. Cause I, I think they matter. Um, and if you don't think they matter, then you can write me a, a very strongly worded letter. You can mail it to, uh, I believe 1600 South Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, DC. I will read it and I, I will respond to you. It will be very normal. Um, but yeah, yeah, really. And, and again, if, you know, many people don't have, you know, their local art house theater and they've got to, you know, they're going to have to rent this thing on Amazon or whatever, rent it. 
rent it you know at your get, have people come over because this is a film i think that would really benefit from a crap again i saw it like a crazy person by myself in a theater laughing a lot saying oh god oh shit what's about to happen you know i mean it is it is something i mean there's there's a lot of really cringy moments um you know a lot of and it would just be great with a group of people a group of friends so if you're listening to this you're not going if you're not going to be able to get out to a theater and organize you know a, a a group of friends or whatever to go see it with you watch it at your house i mean even you know when this thing first hits vod i'm sure it's going to be 20 bucks or something to rent uh, maybe not you know, have, have all your buddies kind of split the cost or whatever. We all pay three bucks a piece or whatever, crowd your living room and watch this different, interesting movie that isn't just different for the sake of being different. I do. And this is something I really need to explore more with a guest with another person, but we're, I I think we're about to kind of hit a tipping point because, you know, the last few years, a lot of, and I think, Part of this was because of COVID, but even before that, you know, smaller indie movies were starting to kind of break through a little bit more thanks to Neon and thanks to A24 and stuff like that. We were starting to get, you know, weirder, interesting stuff. And some of that stuff was weird for the sake of being weird. I don't want to name names or throw any movies under the bus. And I don't think, you know, filmmakers intend to do weird for the sake of being weird, but it can be hard sometimes to do your weird thing that just has this weird ending that just, you know, where the movie seems to stop and half the audience is going to get pissed or whatever. Uh, you know, not really knowing how this is, you know, it's a little, it's not, you know, involving the audience enough. I get, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm, you know, starting to go off the rails, but I think when a movie is weird and different, in service of, you know, a set of feelings or, you know, a character who is working through feelings or whatever, and it can singularly be itself and still feel appropriately satisfying at the end, you know, that's that's something worth watching and champ- championing, champion, all-star championing, uh, you know, and, and getting people together to watch um you know it is it's a weird little movie but it's i think an an accessible weird little movie that uh you know a lot of people could get something out of and i think you know the more you watch i I think it was uh was either roger ebert or gene eskel gene siskel or uh both or maybe neither that said films are nothing without the conversations that inspire them which sounds ironic because i'm not having a conversation about this movie i am just telling you why you need to go see it uh not get you know really participating in the discourse around it but you know this get get some friends together pop some popcorn uh your bagel and cottage cheese um you know, and get your people together and experience this. Cause even if you hate it, you'll still have something to talk about. And, and again, we need, we need big movie stars who are able to put their names on something and get stuff like this made. And, and it's even then it, you know, barely works. I don't know what the financial situation for this film was. I don't think it costs very much, maybe a million or two. Um, 
I think they shot it pretty quick. And, you know, again, it takes place mainly in... Well, I say that. I mean, it, it, it's a few small locations, but I know the logistics of how film productions work. They are not easy. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, it's it's still because us, us scalating fan music records films distribution they are you know still a small company don't quite have the uh you know the reach that like a24 or even neon is getting and so it's still hard to you know keep the stuff going and we can only keep it going by supporting movies but and supporting the good ones um and i think you know even if you don't love this movie it's it's worth seeing and it's worth talking about and, and man i'm really talking myself in circles now but uh Yep, I just wanted to spotlight this and um, congratulate everyone who made it. I think you made a really interesting, strange little film that uh, I hope more people get to see. And I hope you, listener, um, you know, find yourself seeking this out and uh, let me know what you think about it. And I'm on, I'm on the Letterboxd. I'm on Instagram. I think uh, Nick the Sanford is my handle on both. Uh, not too hard to find. I'm pretty loud and brash and obnoxious on uh on the social medias so uh yeah let me know what you think and uh, see you next time (laughs) 